I don't know how to describe it other than like like a demon type of sound. But it's silhouetted, hulking, every bit of five and a half feet wide, 13 to 14 foot tall, pitch black. The one thing that ran through my mind when I had this encounter was I don't have a big enough gun. Your host, two-time witness and field researcher for more than 40 years, William Jevning. Welcome to Creek Devil. Hello everyone, welcome to another edition of Creek Devil. This is part two with our friend Carl in Oklahoma. Tom, would you like to kick this off? Yeah, absolutely. I want to thank everybody for listening today. And uh, Carl's got some great new information that uh, we didn't get on the first episode. But before we get going, I just want to say, if you like the show, let us know. Click the like and subscribe. It really helps us out. And if you want to support the show, you can do that. We've got a link to Patreon in the description on YouTube. And with that said, I'm going to hand the mic to Carl. And Carl, fill us in. What's going on? Oh, oh not a whole lot. I'm fixing to go out to the lake with the, the wife. And um, it's it's going to be her first time getting to listen. So this ought to be interesting. Um, but uh, not much. Just a lot of work. Um I haven't got to spend much time out in the woods here lately, but I'm changing that this evening. <laughs> so where would you like to start this evening? Well, we could pick up where we left off, uh, what, two, three weeks ago. And, uh, you know, you, you had the encounter of the one by the tree with your friend. But you said that you've had some other encounters in Oklahoma, so uh, well, let's start Texas. off with uh, the more recent, and we'll just work our way back. That's uh, I was thinking about one that I, I wanted to I wanted to talk about the other day. Um, over in northwest Oklahoma, um, where I, I believe I told you about the dog man um, encounter. There is. Uh, a lot of oil field going on out there. There's a lot of boogers out there. And but um, one night, I was heading to the disposal back and forth. Was hauling leases that night, and this year had been really, really bad on drivers, truck drivers hitting deer at night. I mean, it was just it was so horrible that the company that I worked for went through and put drill pipe. Uh, bumpers made you know bumpers out of drill pipe and put them on the front of these semis because they were just they were tearing the crap out of our trucks. And the funny thing is, you know, I, I know you, you guys have probably hit deer. Um, you know, seen them on the on the road at night. You know, they'll look at your headlights, they'll stand there and they'll kind of mosey out into the road right in front of you, and you, you know you hit the cotton picking thing. Well, the difference is, is these things would start out in a ditch and you could see them and they'd be kind of restless. And then they'd take off across the road and then they'd hit the brakes, go sliding on the pavement, trying to get up back up on all fours and run right back in front of you. Well, one night I had three, three of them start running out in front of me, all three of them hit the brakes, 
on the other side of the road, they were safe. They were out of the way. They were, you know, they were, I wasn't going to hit them. And they hit the brakes, and all three of them at the same time are trying to get back up on their feet, and they run right back in front of the semi. And I splattered all three of them. I'm, you know, weighing about 90, almost 100,000 pounds. You know, uh, there's no there's no slowing this truck down. So, but anyway, I got to thinking about that one night, or I got to thinking about after that, why I've never, ever seen deer do that. I've seen them walk out, and, you know, they'll walk out into the road, they'll stare at your light, or they'll stand at the side of the road just enough for, you know, if you're not paying attention, you're going to, you're going to smack him. I mean, he's going to stand there and stare at that headlights and he's not going to move. But these things are running across the road, hitting the brakes. I mean, they're just sliding. They're falling down and they're trying to get back up so they can run back across the road. So I got my spotlight, my big old spotlight, and I put it up on the dash, plugged that sucker in, and I weather is like cold but i don't care i'm gonna roll my windows down and i'm gonna keep the window down so i can stick my hand out the window with the spotlight to see maybe see what is going on with these deer and i kind of in the back of my head i kind of knew what was going on but i wanted to see it for myself to you know to verify what was actually happening and sure enough i'm going to the disposal i'm barreling down the road and i see i see two deer i see a buck and a doe they're off in the ditch i can see them up in their ways and they take off running and i stick my hand out the window as i'm coming up and they they hit the brakes and they hit the pavement and i turn i hit the trigger on that that uh spotlight and there's four boogers on the other side of the road standing over there jumping up and down and looks like to me you can you can see their mouths open like they were screaming and they were trying to get them deer to go the other direction and at the same time i stuck my hand around the windshield and i stuck it on the other side of the road and there's two of them on the other side of the road doing the exact same thing trying to get them in the middle of the road now this sounds a little bit crazy a little bit off the wall i know it does but for the i mean that was the first time that i'd ever seen anything like that and it was nuts it was it was crazy but you could literally hit a deer two or three deer drive a mile and a half down the road to the disposal unload which takes 13 minutes come back and by the time you got back those deer would be gone they wouldn't be there Carl, this isn't the first time we've <clears throat> we've actually heard this. Uh, not not quite like that, but there was an incident with uh, Lee years ago in Central Oregon. He uh, he saw a guy in a truck ahead of him hit an elk, and just kept on going. And Lee drove down the road, and then after he said about ten or fifteen minutes, he turned around and came back. He thought, I just need to make sure it's dead. If it's not. I'm going to put it out of its misery. And when he got back, exactly like you said, there's nothing there. It was gone. And it hadn't walked off. There's no trail. Um, something, it's as if picked it up, carried it off. So this is interesting. This um, kind of a repeating pattern with uh, these things. So anyway, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. But go, go ahead. No, 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 no. I just thought, you know. I just thought that was kind of a, 
you know, I'd seen them stock before. I, you know, when I was a kid and I was out there at Canton, uh, you know, and I'd watched them stock here before. I'd watched them stand at trees and and wait for rabbits to come up to them, and they would just sit down there and grab hold of that rabbit. And you hear that rabbit squeal, and they you know, twist the head off of it. <laughs> and uh, you know, and I'd watched them do stuff like that, but uh, you know, but never never actually use something else to to make the kill you, you, well, did you know you what hear i'm saying the creatures? I, you said you saw no, them like intimidating yeah i yeah i, I couldn't hear them come you know I'm, I'm driving down the road usually most of the time about 65 70 75 mile an hour trying to get to the disposal and you know that wind hitting that semi it, and the diesel motor going, you know, I could see that their mouths were open, uh, you know, and I could see that they were, they were jacking their jaws. They were jumping up and down, waving their arms and, and, you know, and I could see that they were, you know, they, they were definitely causing what the deer were, were doing. I mean, and it was, you know, I'd never seen anything like that. And it was just, you know, it's kind of an assurance, you know, an assurance. Uh, it's kind of one of the things where, you know, these things are a lot smarter than we think they are. And, you know, I don't know if that was just them toying with their dinner or, you know, making the hunt easier. Um, uh, you know, because, I mean, they, they can't just go to the hospital and, and get fixed or, you know, get stitches or anything like that, you know. So to make a kill easier like that, I mean, makes sense. But at the same time, yeah, it was just pretty wicked to watch. <clears throat> How long ago was this? Oh, that was just, uh, let's see. Um, that was just last year. Ah, last winter, last uh, December, last December. Yeah, it wasn't that long ago. It, it was pretty recent. Yeah, it wasn't that long. Yeah, 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 pretty recent. And you know that wasn't the first time, especially going down Highway 11 up in northern Oklahoma. Um, you know the deer, you know they'll come out into the road, they'll stand on the edge of the road, and you know deer, you know they'll freeze in your headlights. But you know for a deer to to take off go barreling across the road and hit the brakes and then, you know, stumbling and trying to get up and go the other direction. You know, it, it's, it's something, it was something that definitely caught my attention and, and got me to thinking, you know, that's happened several times throughout my, my, you know, career of being out in the middle of nowhere in the oil field, you know, especially down high, you know, get out highway 11 and, uh, out Northwest Oklahoma, Northern Oklahoma, up out there in the boonies and, um, you know, this happens quite a bit. So, you know, and I don't know, you know, I can't say that it's every time it does happen to somebody that it's, you know, it's the boogers or whatever doing it. But uh, I could say the, out there, yeah, more than likely. Um, m- more than likely, you get deer running in front of you, hit the brakes, hit the ground, and, and you know, stop and check it out. You might be surprised what you see on the edge of the road. So you've seen this more than once, is that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. I've seen that behavior 
with the deer more than once. Now I've only seen, I was only, um, the only time that, that, um, that last year when it was three deer at one time doing it, you know, cause most of the time, you know, one, you know, if there's three or four of them, you'll usually have, you know, one to jump the road, then here comes another one. And then here comes another one. And then here comes another one. But at that time they were bunched together. They were all, you know, they, they were like hurt, like, like they'd herded them to the road and they were keep trying to keep them there, you know, but you know, most of the time when it's, you know, if it's three or four or five deer, you'll see one jump the road and run across another one will jump the road and run across. And then all of a sudden there's another one that jumps the road and he runs across and almost jumps in your passenger side window or something. Um, but this was a, you know, these, these, uh, these are totally different where they're, they're in a, they're in a group. They're, they're bunched together. It's like the boogers are bunching them together. They got them trapped and then they hurt them to where they want them to go and keep them there. It's like, I mean, there's, there's some intelligence there. It's not just, you know, to me, it's not just by chance that they're getting them to do this. It's, it's there, there's some intelligence there. There's some the planning in that, in that product, you know, in, in that action, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. It, it sounds like it's a very deliberate, uh, intentional thing. And it sounds like it's, uh, like you said, planning forethought and useful you're doing the work for yeah 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 well most definitely most definitely you know and um have you ever i'm curious if you've ever seen uh one of the boogers get hit by a truck that would be interesting wouldn't it i've had two times two times where uh i have almost hit one two times um I, I both times. Well, one was a dog man, one was a booger. That I've I've almost hit a booger. Where um, I told you about the one. I think like the last show I told you guys about um, me coming up to the farmhouse, coming up and over the top of the hills and zipping around the corner. And as I come around the corner, there's one standing there straddled at the farm. He's across the road from the farmhouse, but. Uh, He's straddling the fence, and as I come around the corner, um, I seen him in the headlights. My headlights went right across him. He's straddling the fence. As I come around, my mirror almost clips him, and I almost hit him with the front bumper. But I kind of cut it a little bit harder because I didn't want to hit him. But he picks his foot up, sets his foot down, and you just straight sprint alongside the uh, embankment. There was a man-made pond there. And he just straight sprint, sprint, just took off. Um, I started grabbing gears because he started out running. I mean, he was out running me there for a second. And I started grabbing gears, putting my foot in the floor. And when he split off, I caught, I, I looked down on my speedometer where I had it on a digital on the dash. And I was doing 46, 47 mile an hour when he split off. And he was still ahead of me. I still wasn't catching. So I mean, I was I was staying with him, but I wasn't catching him. If you know what I'm saying. But yeah. you know, wow. and then, yeah. And then you know, right after that, he I get on location and uh, I slam on the brakes. What what time of day <laughs> was this? 
What kind of what? Well, I was curious, what time of day did this happen? Uh, this was late at night. This was, uh, oh, Lord, this was probably 2, 3, 4 o'clock in the morning. I mean, it was it was late at night. It was... Well, the, the reason I'm asked, I was just curious if, if your headlights, if you could determine, you know, what color. Was it a black or brown, reddish? And he was a dark, he was a dark, uh, he was a dark red, dark reddish brown. Dark, yeah, he was a dark red. He was, he was a big boy. He was, he was a dark reddish brown. Um, I couldn't really get his facial features that much, but I mean, as far as his body type, yeah, he was, he was definitely, uh, he's one of the, he was one of the few patty types, which you might think of, uh, the patty type boogers, um, which they're kind of rare in Oklahoma. Most of the boogers here look more like, uh, um, they have more of a snout, uh, and a you know smaller, uh, shorter, um, eight nine feet tall, broader shoulders, um, thicker body uh, type boogers is what we mainly that mainly that I see here <clears throat> in Oklahoma. Um, the juveniles, most of them seem to be kind of skinny for the most part. Um, and it seemed uh, more conehead, uh, more of a cone type of head. The juveniles that see, it seems like they lose their cone as the older they get. That makes sense. It's yeah, like they're, sure they're, be, yeah, for for a variety of reasons. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't, you know, you would think if you had a cone head, you did, you know, you'd keep that cone head, but the um, the juveniles seem to have more of a cone type of of a, of a head. Um, the older they get, it seems like that cone turns more rounded. But uh, yeah, him that night, I remember he was more he was more of a the, the patty type of burger. He was he was a good nine nine foot six. Uh, the reason why I know that is because. I went and got a two before, a bucket of rocks, and a tape measure, and uh, got in my semi, marked out the, uh, marked out, put mark, you know, feet to inches on the two before, and then set my semi where I'm sitting, and I used my mirror uh, on the side of the truck as a base, which the bottom of the mirror. On my, on my Mac was at eight foot, and then from eight foot to the top of it's nine foot, and then you got nine foot six, and yeah. Oh, very good. That's a good way to uh, validate, you know, what yeah, you think you said. Yeah, I, you can really confirm it. Yeah, well, I did that. Well, I also did that. I did that at 10 foot away from the truck. I did it at 15 feet from the truck and uh, 25 foot and 35 feet from the truck so that I could get um, where I was sitting, where what I'm doing, when I'm sitting in my semi and I'm looking across, I can see just how big um, they actually are. And there are some in Northwest Oklahoma that are over 10 foot, even close to 12 foot. Um you don't 
Um, you don't see them that often, but when you do, it's they. Um, you really gotta. I've even almost a couple times have thought that I was looking at maybe two of them, maybe even three of them bunched together. But once you really get to looking at it and you take a picture of it and you go, and that's one thing I've learned is, is to take a picture of a booger. The camera does not like to focus in on them. It, 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 it's, I even once spent, five grand on a freaking camera and lens and stuff to, 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 you know, to try to get good pictures. But the problem is, is it's the cameras, they, they won't, they won't focus on the actual animal. They won't focus on the booger. They'll focus on the tree next to it. They'll focus on the tree in front of it. They'll focus to the, you know, they'll focus on everything else, but what you're actually trying to take the picture of. It's like, like, I swear that their hair is translucent. It's, it's just like a polar bear hair. I mean, you know, scientists say polar bears are actually black and, and their hair is black, but um, because of the white and everything around them, their hair shows up and they show up as being just white, where their hair is hollow. It just, it's translucent. The UV light, where UV bounces off of us, it, their hair works like a prism where it just redirects it, redirects the light. The light just goes through and around or whatever, you know, however you want to put it. I'm not a scientist. I mean, I'm, I'm not trained in that type of thing, but I do know that on a high UV day where the UV light, the UV outside is really, really high, if you don't know what you're looking at, one could probably be standing 10 foot in front of you and you're, all you're going to see is a ghost. I mean. Well, that's interesting. We well, have heard um, a couple times people talking about the uh, how the characteristics of the hair that they saw was uh, unique. It, it was just, it just didn't, it wasn't what you expected. So, yeah, who knows? Uh, that could very well be what's what's going on. Um, so you had some other encounters. Uh, tell us a little bit about some of those. Well, I'll tell you, uh, probably about 65%, 60% of my encounters have been work-related work -related encounters. Um I'll see stuff like uh, structures. Um, you know, what most people might think of, um, well, most people might think that, uh, oh, that's just a pile of branches on the side of the road. <laughs> um, you know, but I'll see it and I'll know that that is an actual structure because of the way that it's put together, the way that it's built. Um, and I'll get out and I'll look at it. And I can't have a couple times. Um, well, one time on the, uh, what's the name of that location. Um, crap, I can't. I can't think of the name of the location right now. Um, it was a four-point location. But um, 
I'd driven by that structure several times and I'd been in a hurry. This time I was kind of had a little time to spare, so I stopped. And I got out of the truck and I walked over there and I looked in it and I thought, hey, that's a perfect uh, hunting hide, you know, a blind, hunting blind. And I walked around the other side and I'm shining my light in there and I'm, I'm looking at it and I looked how they built it, how they put it together. And I go to turn around and walk back towards my truck and I, I hear something <laughs> and sure enough, uh, they start throwing stuff at me. They didn't want me in there. And, uh, I've had stuff like that happen several times. Um, I'll stop, I'll see structures, I'll stop and I'll just go look at the structure, see how they're built, see, you know, maybe see if they're kind of, you know, if they're newer or older or, you know, they've been around a while or if it's something, you know, that's kind of a recent build. And well, let me ask you real quick. You said you yeah. got inside of this, uh, this thing, this structure, how, uh, how tall do you think it was? And what kind of an entrance? What did that was it just you know where some of the trees weren't together? Um, Describe now, it a little bit. The structures here in Oklahoma. Now I'll tell you the first thing I look for in a structure. So you got any saw marks, chop mark, you know, chop from axe marks. Um how were the limbs broken or now were they broken? from a force break or like a, a stress break. Um, you know, stress break bringing like from ice, you know, an ice storm, you know, a limb gets enough ice built up on it. It, it, it breaks differently from if something just grabbed a hold of it, twisted it and snapped it. Um, I'll, I'll look for those, those type of breaks because I know there's people out there who, uh, I'll go out and build structures um, for the shits and giggles. Excuse my French. I mean, they'll just go out and build stuff and and chop it down and, you know, stick it up and try to build it and make it look nice. I don't know if they're living in it or just, you know, trying to play pranks or what they're doing. But um, a lot of these structures here that are actual, um, honestly, the ones that are real, the ones that are, you know, I call them, that I say real, the ones that I think are, are booger-related, I'd almost call them a playpen. A playpen for juveniles. None of them are real big. None of them are, are, are huge. They're not big enough for a man to stand up in. They're not big enough for... Uh, You know, they're barely big enough for a, a five, six, seven-year-old to uh, to stand up in and, and play in or to, you know, it's like they build them for the juvenile. They build them just to, you know, give that juvenile a place to, to hide, if that makes any sense to you. Now, bigger stuff... Um, where trees have been ripped out of the ground by the root, and the root is sitting up in the is is facing up, and then there's another one facing up the other direction, and there's a big old X. 
Um, you know, that's, that's pretty obvious. Um, what did that, but, um, we got some pretty big arches that, uh, um, they're just, to me, they're phenomenally, uh, some of them, the arches will arch 10 to 12 foot off the ground and in the center. I mean, you can't stand there and reach up and touch the top of the arch where the tree has been arched arched around and put down to the ground and there's you get out for supply and there's so many arches out there it's not even funny it's like it's like something they really enjoy doing um small tp structures um and most of them are maybe five six feet tall uh maybe four or five foot in diameter um it's like uh it's like a game for them, I think, or something to do, or maybe like a playpen for a juvenile. I and mean, most of them, I mean, that's just about how big they are. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, it's interesting. And the structures are definitely something that needs to be investigated more. Um, what about some other encounters that you've had where you've seen the creature, uh, Oklahoma, or do you, do you ever make it into uh, East Texas at all, or have you ever seen them there? Um, I've made it in Northwest Texas. Um, they stay, I've seen quite a few over in Northwest Texas. Now, you would think you get out in Northwest Texas, and it's mostly, it's almost like desert land. When you're driving out through there, it don't look like there's, there's anything but flat land out there. Um, to the contrary, there's a lot of canyons, uh, there's a lot of bluffs out there. There's, uh, there's a lot of places for burgers to hide <clears throat> and to live caves. There's a lot of cave systems and stuff out there that, that people just don't know about. Um, unless you're the farmer or the rancher or even the oil field worker that, that gets out there and gets off the main highways and gets off the main roads and, uh, um, you get next to one of these, uh, one of these canyons and get to looking off down in there. Um, I would, uh, I would shut the truck off a lot of times and just walk around location. Um, walk around the outside edge of the location and just wait till I heard something. Um, hopefully the, the wife will get to hear something uh tonight but a lot of times uh you'll hear like a, a chimpanzee or you know kind of a monkey sound which is you know normally it's a juvenile um once things get quieted down and things you know uh they think that you've left then they'll start chattering you, you'll hear them um i've seen them uh I've seen them, you know, I'll, I'll take my spotlight and I'll shine it down in there and uh, you'll get an eye shine real quick, but then you can, you can sure see bodies. I mean, you, you, you can, um, I've taken several pictures of, uh, and just, you know, Hey, look, right. There's one click. <laughs> and there's another one click. <laughs> there's another one click. Um, you know, and that's, that's another reason why I say, you see one, there's never just one. There's, there's always, 
there's always more than one. If there's two, there's four. If there's four, there's eight. If there's eight, there's 16. I mean, um, there's there's a lot more of them out there. I, I you know, and I, I thought about, you know, discussing that with you guys too, is, you know, have you guys, you know, since I was a kid doing this, when I was a young teenager, I remember the groups being small, you know, a group of eight or, you know, maybe nine. Um, I'm seeing groups of of 16 to to almost 40 and and up here in Oklahoma. It's um, you know, and then you have uh, you know these scientists on these TV shows. How does the food supply support this this type of animal? You know, um, let's address that for a second. The food supply. You know, you, you hear them talk about food supply. They don't even realize the food supply that is actually, you know, let's take Northwest Oklahoma, for example, or even North, uh, Northwest Texas, um, up in the panhandles. Yeah. It's, it's like a desert out there. I mean, there's a lot of deer. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of hogs. There's a lot of turkey. There's, uh, uh, there's not a whole lot of fishing unless you get to the lakes, but, um, you know, what about, uh, the vitamin tubs the farmers put out. What about the molasses tubs that the farmers put out? What about the cake the farmers put out every single day for the, the cow, the cattle? That stuff is loaded with proteins and vitamins. And I mean, a booger can simply go to the drugstore and get get his uh, daily vitamin intake times ten with a, a half a hand of, uh, you know, stick his hand in the vitamin tub and dig him out a little bit and chew on that stuff. And I don't know if he's ever tried it, but honestly, it don't taste too bad. <laughs> I mean, it's not something I'd want to eat every day, but, um, you know, and the, the cake that the farmers put out every single day, they go out and put this out for the cow. I mean, the cattle don't eat all that. They'll eat some of it and turn around and walk away from it and disappear. And there's nobody around to, you know, these burgers are coming up and getting, you know, a free meal, not to mention getting one hell of a healthy meal that's a heck of a lot better than what we probably eat every day at McDonald's. You know what I'm saying? You know, and I think they're getting bigger. I think they're getting stronger. I think they're uh, they're healthier. Um, I think that uh, they're able to reproduce healthier. Uh offspring and uh quite frankly i think they're you know the populations are exploding especially here what um what what makes you think the population's exploding are they just see more of them there's more evidence and seeing uh, more evidence uh, not just more evidence but seeing more of them well i can seriously put you in the passenger seat of this pickup and we can take a drive and by the time we got home, by the end of the night, you would probably would not know what to say. I could take you two hours from where I'm at right now and take you for a 30-minute drive at one in the witching hours of the night between 1 o'clock and 3 o'clock in the morning and show you at least, at least 16 to 30. I know that's pretty big to say, but 
I'm, I mean, I'm pretty cotton picking confident about it. What are, uh, what are some of the juvenile sightings? Um, or have you, have you seen actual juveniles? Oh, I've seen a bunch of juveniles. Um, actually not too long ago, not, not too long before I moved to the city. Um, I was out on the Norman well coming out. Um, uh, I was coming out of location to juveniles. This standing right off the side, not more than 20 feet from the lease road. One of them had his hand up on a branch. And I seen him as I was coming around. It was a full moon night. And I seen him, little juvenile, about four and a half, maybe five foot tall. He's standing in front of the branch. He's holding the branch up. And as my headlights come around in front of him, he holds, pulls the branch down in front of his face. And his little brother or sister or whatever he is standing right next to him. And they don't budge. They don't move. They won't move. And you just sit there looking at him. Not 10, 15 feet off the lease road. I just go on by thinking, yeah, mom and dad's around here somewhere. I'm not stopping messing with you. I mean, that was, yeah, that was last year. Um, that wasn't too long ago. Um, Chuck what about, actually has what about a picture some of, the other of truckers, Some of your coworkers or guys that you work with, um, how often, or do they see them? Do you guys ever talk about, to, hey, you know? Well, uh, I was able to get one other driver that worked at the same company um, uh, to actually talk to me one one evening. And he'd been down on a on, on a location that I know I knew that they uh, that they frequent quite well because there's always there's always uh, cake on location. Uh, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, cake. Um, little no, uh, the I farmer. Uh, elaborate on that a little bit. Um, it's uh, they call it cake. It's little round pellets. The pellets kind of differ in size. Or um, the farm, the cows. It's uh, uh, it's like uh, you know, cow feed basically. But um, they call it cake. Um, but they'll put this stuff out, you know, every single day. Uh, they'll put it in troughs. Sometimes they'll just spread it on the ground, and the cow will come by. They'll eat what they want of it, and then they they leave. And then uh, boogers will come along, and they'll have their fill of it and leave. Um, the vitamin tubs, um, and the molasses tubs, and the salt blocks, and the vitamin blocks. I mean, the farmers and the ranchers they just take that stuff out and throw it off the pickup out in the middle of the field or um wherever they want the cows to eat at the time and uh you know we're talking big big round tubs that are you know knee high uh and probably two and a half three foot in diameter maybe um they weigh about anywhere between what 65 70 pounds of uh you know vitamins and minerals and everything a cow needs to be healthy but uh, well, just about all livestock, I believe. And I've seen the, the sheep farmers over in Northwest Oklahoma. They'll they'll do the same thing. They'll put the vitamin tub, tubs out and molasses tubs and that. But you know, the cows eat it, bulls eat it, sheep eat it. Um, I've smelled it and kind of took a little taste of it, and it ain't half bad. I mean, it's good stuff. But um, <laughs> I hate to say this, uh, but I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> it, it smells like granola. Yeah, yeah, it does. It smells like granola and the cake. And I, 
I mean, the cake, it almost smells like chocolate cake. Um, it doesn't, you know, take a little taste of it. It don't taste too bad, but it's, I mean, it's loaded with, with, with good stuff. I mean, so we can, we can yeah. surmise that Bigfoot may have a sweet tooth. Oh, I, I, I mean, I would not, uh, well, yeah, I mean, and it's, it's readily, readily accessible for them. I mean, especially out here, especially Northwest Oklahoma, Northern Oklahoma, any ranch farm, uh, you know, where these farmers are putting this stuff out. I mean, there's grain. You can't tell me a booger is just, just uh carnivore. I mean, there's, there, there's no way. I mean, he has to, you know, they, they, you know, you figure these farmers, you know, you know, once a year, there's tons of wheat laying on the ground and, and barley and mung beans and, uh, you know, you name it, it's, it's there for them. That's, you know, and that's, you know, I told you that, you know, that one I almost ran into, uh, there's grain bin, there was grain bins just across the road, you know, where that farmer's house was, uh, and then right behind his house, where the burger, you know, either was coming from or going to, were, were grain bins back there. You know, that stuff's just, it's just laying on the ground. You no, know, not all of that gets, not all of that makes it in bin. I mean, I grew up working on a farm. I know it, you could have a couple tons laying on the ground. Well, Will, I'm going to get Will to jump in here for a second. Um, one of the things, because we get people contacting us, they contacted you about, you know, they have a problem with uh, the creatures on their property. What are, besides cutting away the trees, what's the other recommendation that you have? Well, me, I wouldn't I know what you're going to say. What's that? Well, I was, no, I was asking Will, what, what's his recommendation? Oh. Well, as um, we'll hear in the Mr. Black interviews, um, he said that bleach is a good deterrent because animals in the wild, uh, whichever one has the strongest scent, leaves the strongest smell, uh, is the boss. So usually, and they said he said they found that works. Well, where I was going with this is uh, when you've had people contact you, one of the things you ask is, is their livestock food available for them? And if so, tell them to put it away, right? Yeah, right. If you don't, you know, if they're causing problems, you don't want them around, um, you need to remove the source of whatever's keeping them there. Yeah, and I was just thinking that would kind of dovetail with what Carl's talking about with uh, these things going out and having access to the... Uh, livestock vitamins and cake and all that now um corn livestock we're not just talking about livestock not just dog food not just uh cat food we're talking corn milo um anything with molasses in it i mean there's a lot of the foods that have molasses in it molasses is, is, is a good source of uh dang it on the tip of my tongue, I mean, sugar. Um, molasses is good. It's it's a pure source of sugar. It's a pure source of energy. 
So anything that has a molasses in it, um, a lot of your deer corns, your uh, deer feed um, that they're selling nowadays has um, it has a um, especially the expensive stuff. We used to call it Dairy Eighty Eight, and all it is is a uh, a um, it's a supplement for calves. It's um, and the deer love it. The deer will eat that stuff like it's candy. Well, so will the boogers. Um, I don't know if Chuck told you guys, but me and him got, uh, he had a friend called out. Um, he had put a deer feeder up and put um, a hog panel around that deer feeder. Well, something, uh, I, I know what it was because whenever I went out there, I seen him. Um, but uh, something had tore literally grabbed a hold of that hog panel and ripped it apart in places. Um, it's pretty hard to rip that, uh, that welded hog panel apart, but it ripped it out and just tore the crap out of that deer feeder trying to get a hold of that corn. And he had that, the best I could tell, he did have that, that good deer feed in there. But... Um, I walked away from those two and went down around the pond by myself after we walked around for a little bit. Just kind of got the feeling I knew where they were and ended up getting a few pictures of them. Um, there was one, two, three, four, five. I got a picture. There was, there was five out there that day that I did see for sure. But, um, and they had a nice little pond there, food was right along the river. I mean, it was, it could have been a quarter of a mile from the river. But, yeah, any, 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 any food, any. Uh, well, you know, you said a lot of any, this food has molasses in it. Uh, a lot of, a lot of the, a lot of the, you know, even bird food, uh, a lot of the bird foods, um, you know, the bird, you know, stuff. If you pick it up and smell it. It, I think they use the, the molasses, not only is it a pure source of energy and a pure source of sugar, but I think they use it as a uh, um, something to hold the food together. You know, where it's going with this, I just wonder, in case the molasses, some people out there are going to know what I'm talking about, uh, if it ferments. <laughs> oh, yeah. You, you get yeah. rum. And I bet they, who yeah. knows, maybe they like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a, there's a lot more sources of food out there for them. I think, you know, than people, you know, especially the scientists, you know, who are, are, are saying, you know, are, are, you know, they're, they're saying, how can there be a food source to, to support a population of these things? And the fact of the matter is, is it's there. You, it, you just, you know, open up your eyes and use a little common sense. And I mean, the farmers are feeding them. Uh, the ranchers are feeding them. One, the you know, Mother Nature is feeding. Um, you know, the farmers are giving them stuff that's you know, making them fat for the winter and strong for the summer. Um, you know, and I think they're they're getting healthier. I think there's more. You know, I know there's more of them than there was when I was a kid. 
the 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 groups are much larger now. They're, there's a lot more juvie than the in in each one of the groups than you know what I remember as a child. You know, as a young teenager, you know, you'd see one or two, maybe three juveniles. Now I'm seeing, uh, you know, five and six and eight in a in a group. I mean, there's a lot more of them. Well, that's, you know, you brought up an interesting point that I don't think a lot of people considered, and that is that they could really uh, supplement themselves with what the farmers and the ranchers are feeding the livestock. Listen, we're just about out of time, but we got time for one more, if you have one more sighting uh, that's kind of memorable that you could tell us about. Hmm. And I know I don't mean to put you on the spot if you don't have one. How about um? We've got no, actually, I it's it, it's trying to remember one that's kind of rememberable and one that kind of pops up to me. Um, it was my son's first time seeing one, and I never ever, you know, I, I try not to force it on them, you know, try not to, you know, point it out. I I I, I think it's uh to me it's it's kind of like a it should be a you know a something that is not pointed out but you see for yourself so that you you know you 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 know you you cannot deny what you saw um quite a few years ago i think he was uh he was 13 14 um which had probably been close to what eight nine years ago maybe a little bit longer uh we went to Canton, uh went hunting and we went deer hunting and uh the sun went down you know and um i'd seen uh three of them that evening three boogers that evening um on down the trail from where we were camping and we got done eating and and i knew they'd been up there around camp but uh they just they weren't coming close enough to camp in order to see him, but I, I was kind of hoping he would see one. <laughs> and uh, I said, hey, let's go take a walk. What do you say? He's like, oh, okay. It's full moon night. It's a beautiful night. It's nice and chilly. And we start walking down the trail, and we get, oh, probably 15, 20 yards from camp. And I seen the the big one standing. He's he's up into the tree, but he's probably five six feet, maybe seven feet off the trail. And I kind of back off of Cody a little bit. And it's it's a perfect night. I mean, if you're watching, full moon nights are perfect for seeing them because it just the way the lighting is. The way their hair is, they just seem to poke out like a sore thumb. And I mean, you just do, in just my opinion, they just, there, there's no, it's like, you know, during the daytime, it's like the sun just flows through them, flows around them. And you, you may, you know, you, if, if you don't know what you're looking at, you may not see anything but a ghost. But, I kind of backed off and let him get just a few feet ahead of me. And as he was coming up to him, 
And I seen Cody turn around, looked at him, and Cody stops. And Cody's just standing there. And I walk up and I put my hand on my other shoulder and I said, keep walking. And then I just said, keep walking. Don't say a word. Just keep walking. It's okay. <laughs> Cody is trembling. <laughs> we get a little bit further. He says, can I talk now? <laughs> I said, yeah. And he said, dad, what was that? <laughs> that wasn't his exact words. It was, what the F was that? <laughs> and I said, you don't know what that was? And he said, was that a Bigfoot? I said, yeah. He said, we were that close to a Bigfoot? And I said, yeah. And he said, how come it didn't do anything? I said, because it doesn't, it doesn't want to hurt you any more than you want to hurt it. If it didn't feel danger, it's probably, it, it, you're probably never going to know that you, you were so close to him unless you just see him. Your reaction is going to get a reaction. If you go acting crazy and go acting stupid, you're going to get a stupid reaction that you're probably not going to like. If you stay calm, you stay relaxed, you're never going to know that he was there. It's just like you walk into the woods, you leave the woods just as it was before you went into it. I have been so close so many times within, you know, five, six, seven, ten foot, and have never had bad reactions bad experience or even felt, you know, threatened. The way you, the way that you, you know, I want to say represent yourself, the way you, you act towards them is the reaction that you're going to get. If you go acting crazy and go losing your mind and, and acting nuts, well, that's probably what you're going to get in return. You act like you just didn't even there and you didn't even exist. That's the reaction you're probably going to get. Like you didn't even see him. Like you didn't even know he was there. But anyway. Well, listen, Carl, appreciate it. And uh, keep in touch with us. Sounds like you got a lot of activity there. So I can see some future updates coming at some point down the road. But uh, stay in touch with us, and again, I want to thank you for coming on and sharing your encounters with us. But well, if I have anything new, I'll uh, I'll let you guys know. All right, thank you, Carl. Awesome. In Bigfoot history, near Jackson, Montana, October 1960. Dr. Joseph Feathers, Western Montana College of Education, wrote me that Dean Stanton found bare human tracks 17 inches by 9 inches in the snow about 15 miles south of Jackson. He tracked him 300 yards to a rocky slope on the mountainside. They cleared a windfall 4 feet high without breaking stride.
Adena people liked him, Tex Cobb. No sentiment was wasted on either side, but he and the tribesmen had a live-and-let-live understanding that was rare in those days. He stayed off their trap lines, and they stayed off his. If an Indian had a salmon net in an eddy, Texas found another eddy, and vice versa. Due to the fact that the Indians trusted him, we became involved with what today would be called, I suppose, an abominable snowman. I have since heard and read a great deal about the abominable snowman. I have seen the photographs of those tracks in the snow on a Tibetan mountain, and to me they are simply the tracks of a man with gunny sack or some cloth wrapped around his feet as protection from the cold, climbing slewfoot because the slope was steep and he had no crampons. But when I was a youngster roaming the north with Tex, we had never heard of the abominable snowman. We had, however, heard much about Gilyuk, the shaggy cannibal giant, sometimes called the big man with a little hat. Our adventure with Gilyuk occurred while we were camped in a pretty spruce park on Yellow Jacket Creek, south of Tyrone Lake. We had spent the entire summer on this mountain, Gert Nelchina Plateau, wandering about in aimless nomad fashion. Tex said we were prospecting and looking for fur sign. Maybe we were. He always had to have an excuse for enjoying the country. A commercial excuse, if he could think of one. Anyway, it was now late September, the beautiful time. No mosquitoes. The land ablaze with color. The fish and the meat animals, summer fat. The caribou horde gathering. And we were footloose and free, as perhaps men can never be again. This morning, Tex was making coffee, and I was down at the creek clearing a mess of grayling for breakfast, when six Indians filed through the timber. They stood for a moment, solemnly regarding our four horses. To them, a horse was a rarity, a mysterious animal. They called them McKinley Moose, because McKinley was the only president they had ever heard of, and the horses were as big as moose. I followed them to the camp. Have you eaten? Tex asked them in Denna. They said they had eaten. Chief Stickman was with them. I had seen him once before, at Eklinta Village. A squat, square-faced man, very dark, with long hair and quick-moving obsidian eyes. He was the Denna boss of this entire area, and his reputation was bad. But now, he had trouble that he couldn't handle. He told us about it, and as he talked, he kept standing first on one leg, then the other, balancing himself with the moccasined sole of the free foot against the knee of the supporting leg. I don't know whether it was habit or a medicine trick to ward off evil spirits or both, but it was disconcerting. He had come into this area two days ago, he said, with some of his people to kill and cachet caribou for winter use. But they had discovered that Gilyuk, the shaggy giant, was hanging around. They found his sign yesterday, and of course everybody knew that Gilyuk wasn't interested in caribou. Gilyuk ate men. What kind of sign, Tex asked. We will take you to see it, Stickman said. It's not far. After breakfast, we followed the Indians upstream a couple of miles to a burned flat on which a nurse crop of aspen and birch had grown. In the center of the flat stood a ruined birch sapling. It had been about four inches through and maybe ten feet tall. Something had twisted the sapling, as a man would twist a matchstick. The wood had separated into individual fibers. The bark hung in tatters. 
Stickman and his hunters stood back while Tex and I looked the site over. Moose often ride a sapling down to get at the tender upper twigs. So do caribou. But no moose or caribou had done this. This had been done by something with hands. It had happened yesterday, because the leaves of the sapling had not yet completely wilted. It wasn't the work of lightning. No burns. A freak whirlwind hadn't done it, because trees and brush a few yards distant were undamaged. The hard ground showed no tracks. We found no snagged hair on the brush. Absolutely nothing, except the incredibly twisted birch sapling. It was, without question, the eeriest sight I have ever beheld in the wilds. Stickman said, It is Gilyuk's mark. We have seen it before. I wish to make clear that to the Dena people, Gilyuk was no legendary creature their grandfathers had told them about. He was a reality, and they spoke of him as they spoke of bears and wolves. They saw his sign, and they saw him. He was a shaggy giant who wore a little hat and ate men. We want to ask you to camp with us until we have killed our caribou, Stickman said. Gilyuk doesn't molest white men. Perhaps he will not molest us if you are in the camp. Stickman had already told us that he was bivouacked on the shore of a pothole lake two hours to the eastward. Tex said all right, we would move to his camp in the morning. As he was still looking at the twisted sapling, his green eyes narrowed in thought. I couldn't take my gaze off of it either. Stickman said, Thanks, Kosaki, a strange word of respect held over from the old Russian Cossack, and we parted company with the Indians. Next morning, I brought the horses in at daybreak. We ate, broke camp, and were putting on the packs when here came the Indians, all of them. All, that is, except Stickman. An old man told us Stickman was dead. Gilyuk had taken him. The chief had got up in the night and gone down to the lake, perhaps for water, but nobody knew. A squaw with a birch bark torch found his red flannel underwear on the gravel beach. It had been torn off of him. There may have been tracks, but the entire hunting party had swarmed over the beach, and by daylight no tracker on earth could have made sense of the jumble. Well, until the day of his own death last July, while on a sentimental journey to a fateful spot in Cook Inlet, Tex was convinced that the cannibal giant Gilyuk killed Stickman. When asked if he believed in the existence of abominable snowmen, Tex would reply that he didn't think there were any around in Alaska nowadays, but that they had existed, at least one of them, a couple of decades back. Thanks for listening to this episode of Creek Devil. If you or anyone you know has had an encounter with these creatures, please contact us at williamjevning at yahoo.com. That's William, J-E-V-N-I-N-G, at yahoo.com. All communication is confidential. Join us for another program next week. And until then, keep your eyes open out there.